Welcome to the Career Up Now Socially Distanced Close-Ups Israel Edition. I'm your host, Daniel Gable, and today we are speaking with Rabbi Abadi, MD, of Manhattan East Synagogue. Welcome, and it is a pleasure to have you on. It's my pleasure, Daniel. Thank you for inviting me. So everything we've seen from the internet, what we've collected through research, it seems like you've had a very successful career so far. So can you please share a brief story of how you got where you are today? Growing up, uh, actually being born in Lebanon, in Beirut, Lebanon, and then growing up in Mexico City from a family that has its root in Spain, in Sephardic Spain, it gave me a very well-balanced and very cosmopolitan view of life, where as a wandering Jew from one hand, but yet as a Jew that has learned the culture of many of its surroundings people that we lived in, So that gave me the ability to learn languages, to learn cultures, and to be able to interact with many cultures, many groups, many nationalities. And that is what I have done through my life, in a sense, being involved in uh, not just serving God in the spiritual manner as a rabbi, but also serving humanity as a physical, uh, as a physician, as a medical doctor. Yeah. The philosophy of Sephardic Jews is actually that, where we are in this world to serve God and to serve humanity at the same time. Many of the Sephardic uh, great sages uh, were all um, involved in serving God in a matter of being rabbis, but at the same time served humanity, and not just as physicians, but as cartographers, financiers, Uh, mathematicians, uh, military experts, foreign experts, diplomats, and the history of Sephardic Jews in Spain for many centuries was that, where leadership was involved in communal efforts, religious studies, spirituality, but at the same time serving not just the Jewish community, but the nation of Spain at that time as a whole. So it seems like Sephardic Judaism is clearly very important to your career so far and probably in the future. Currently, mainstream Jewish day schools often leave out Sephardic Judaism when teaching about Jewish history and tradition. Do you believe this creates splinters within the Jewish community? And if so, how do you suggest that we bring the two communities back together? Well, Sephardic Jews are a part and parcel of, of Jews uh, in general. In fact, mm-hmm. in the Middle Ages, Sephardic uh, Jewry was the majority of, of Jews. They served of like 80% of the Jewish people were Sephardic before the Inquisition. And it is an important part of Jewish history to learn Sephardic history. Without it, you would have a history that is devoid of 1,500 years of Jewish history. I have been involved in uh, Jewish curriculum and Sephardic curriculum at Yeshiva University, where I was the director of the Jacob Safra Institute of Sephardic Studies. Fortunately, at the beginning, uh, Jewish history ended, in a sense, with the destruction of the temple, and then they jumped directly into 15th century, uh, 16th century Europe. And so there was a 1,500 years of emptiness, of a span, Uh, of time, span of time, in which there was maybe one course. And that is because they uh, kind of ignored and forgot about Sephardic history. So uh, Sephardic history is part and parcel, and a very important part and parcel of general Jewish history. And I think that history should be taught in all schools, not as a separate module, but as part of general Jewish history. 
So that way, all Jews know all Jewish history and not just a very limited view of European Jewish history. What would you say is one core value that guides your life? Because you've mentioned Sephardic Judaism, the education of Judaism. You're a doctor, you're a rabbi. What's a core value that guides your life? A core value is, is very similar to that in a sense that we are here on earth to do good, to pursue justice, and to have and maintain a just society. Just society, the way we see it, is uh, based on Jewish values, uh, biblical values that were given to us, and at the same time, taking care of society that is around us. So that's basically the core value that we as humans, we as individuals, we as Jews should look upon to try to make sure that we help create a just society. What does that just society look like in your opinion? Just society looks like respect to uh, private property, the respect of other people, that there should be uh, no differences between nationalities in a sense, ethnicities. We are all created by God as equals. That's why our sages tell us that Adam, Adam, was created and all the nations that were created after him was through him. So nobody can say my forefather was more special than your forefather. We all come from yeah. the same forefather that, that's Adam. When we have that in mind that we are all actually brothers and sisters coming from one sole father, then we understand that uh, there is no reason for discrimination. There's no reason for racism. There's no reason for feeling one superior to the other. We're all equal. Uh, the only thing we need to do is to try to find a set of values and laws that will establish that. In Judaism, we believe in the seven Noahide laws that ought to, in a sense, establish the framework of relationship between humans. And that is believing that there is a supreme being, God, of course, so respecting human life and the sanctity of human life, respecting property, respecting honesty, not lying, establishing judges and a system of reward and punishment, maintaining caring of animals, which means against cruelty to animals, and so on and so forth. So those values are really international values that we, if we maintain them and we obey them, and we live by them, then certainly we could create a just society. So currently our society is pretty much on lockdown from the pandemic. So what new challenges or opportunities has the pandemic brought to your work? Well, before I go into that, let me just think about and, and, and say what really philosophically this pandemic has made me think. And first and foremost is that as a religious person, before I speak mm -hmm. as a doctor, Whenever there were tragedies in the world and in history, we always ran to our synagogues to pray or to our churches or to our mosques to pray, to our religious places. And any tragedy that came to the world made people unite in a sense and be able to plead to God, to the Almighty for, for a relief 
unfortunately, this pandemic has created a situation in which exactly the opposite was happening, which means we no longer are able to go to our synagogues, our churches, or our mosques. We will no longer able to get together as a group of people and pray and try to do something. In a sense, this pandemic has caused us to be separated one from the other and ponder life. As a physician, of course, uh, we have to come up with answers to this virus, how we're going to mitigate uh, the virus, how we're going to treat it, how are we going to maintain a society healthy and prevent infections and morbidity and mortality. And so this pandemic brought a lot of challenges to all of us, first as humans, second as spiritual leaders, and third as scientists and uh, physicians or community leaders, where we feel that we have the responsibility to try to protect our people, to try to protect our citizens, and uh, try to give them the best information that we have, that we know, so they could protect themselves, protect their families, and protect those that are very vulnerable. Great challenges. Gives us time to uh, think, to ponder things, to ponder life, to ponder our way of life. Sometimes you may have complained that there's too much togetherness. Well, uh, this pandemic gave us a chance to ponder that as we were left alone at home in a sense. And for many people, that alone meant only themselves, one person in their own home, their own apartment, can almost incommunicate with the rest of humanity unless they have a computer or a, a smartphone where they could communicate. Unfortunately, many of the elderly don't even have that. And even if they have it, they may not know how to, how to use it. And that has uh, created a lot of loneliness for many people. So there are a lot of challenges, of course, spiritual challenges, societal challenges, scientific, medical challenges, cultural challenges that uh, we had to face during these past four or five months now. Being a rabbi and a doctor, what is your opinion about having minions in shoals? Well, you mean given the pandemic like, situation? Yeah, safety-wise, spiritually-wise. Synagogues uh, should have, uh, uh, and many are, f following the rules and regulations that uh, their state uh, has established. And that's what we did in the city. And we were basically following the rules and regulations and the advice of the Department of Health of either state of New York and those people in New Jersey followed the state of New Jersey. And based on those rules, uh, things uh, were done. So of course, the first three months, all the synagogues were closed completely. And slowly, slowly, as they allowed the opening either with 25% of capacity and then later on with, later on with 50% of capacity with social distancing and the use of the mask and sanitizing the, the place. So uh, as long as, as we're doing it properly, correctly and following the rules and regulations, then it should not be any problem. Can you name a teaching moment for you, whether it was a mistake or a failure that made you reassess where you were in life, in your career? There are a lot of teaching moments in my life, certainly. Having moved from Lebanon to Mexico, from Mexico to the United States, and each country was a different culture, was a different language, and even a different religious milieu, non-Jewish. In Lebanon, we had Maronite Christians, we had Sunni Muslims and Shia Muslims, plus we had Alawite, we had Druze, uh, even uh, we had Kurds 
And so we had a lot of different religious groups and a lot of different ethnic groups. So to me, the teaching moment then is, even as a very young child, is the ability to uh, relate, to understand, to be friendly. In the building that I lived, we have, there were five floors. Each floor had two different families. Almost each family was different. We had Jews, we had Christian Maronites, we had Armenians, we had a Muslim Sunni and Muslim Shiite, and we were friendly with all of our neighbors. They would come to visit wow. us, and we would go to visit them. As children, we played sports together, and so that teaching moment was that if there is respect from one another to each other's religion and to each other's culture, then there's certainly peace can be maintained. I learned that also as I moved to Mexico and again, meeting new people, uh, different language, different culture. Religion in Mexico was a Catholic Christian, not Maronite Christian. Basically, I brought with me all what I learned in Lebanon and I applied it in Mexico. And that way also we were able to maintain friendly relationship with our neighbors, with our schoolmates and everybody else. So as we grow and as we have a strong basis from childhood, of teaching moments, we could definitely apply those teaching moments for the rest of our lives. So when you came to America, did you find a difference in that friendliness culture? Like, like you said, in Lebanon, you were friends with everyone in your building from Sunni, Shiite, Muslim, different types of Christianity and Judaism, same in Mexico. But when you came to America, what was that like? Although the United States is known to be as a melting pot, but one group doesn't accept the other group as at least when I started. This was in the early 80s. I was, in a sense, recognized as a foreigner, so to speak. Eventually, as life continued and people got to know me, and as I became an American officially, I was accepted as an American. So America was, at least at the beginning when I was here, when I started here, was much more closed up than open. I believe now things have opened up much more than what they were. Mm -hmm. And so that experience I had, I remember many of my college classmates, when I would tell them to me one, they would ask me, so where were you born? So I would say in, in Lebanon, they say, oh, is that in North Africa? I said, no, that's Libya, not Lebanon. So well, Libya, Lebanon is the same thing. So I recognize that high school education in the United States was not that good. If they aren't able to recognize Lebanon from Libya, that's a problem. Or when I tell them I just came from Mexico, oh, Mexico, that's in South America, correct? Near Argentina. And I would tell them, that's your southern neighbor. Mexico is the southern neighbor of the United States. If you don't know that, that's a problem. I realized that it's not only the high school education was not in an excellent shape, but it shows also that society here is not very well aware of the outside world other than the United States. Yeah. And you would think that the United States being the world leader would be much more aware of their surroundings and what is out there, even as far mm -hmm. as Asia, but at least in the early 80s society here, at least people that I interacted with, they had no knowledge of that. So yourself as an immigrant has a lot of experience moving. So if a college student or a young professional were moving to Israel, what advice would you give them? 
the advice that I would give them is that they certainly should uh, read, learn a lot before they go there. And once they go there to try to absorb that culture that they're going to be living all along maintaining, of course, their values and principles that they have learned. But to be able to really get to know a people or culture that you're living, you have to immerse yourself in it, of course, without mm -hmm. losing your own values and principles, but learning about the other. And that's the only way that you're able to either appreciate where you are, appreciate the other, and appreciate their culture and traditions that they have. And that way you could compare also your culture with them and see what's, what are the differences. We have a lot of common things together. And that way, I think they'll be able to appreciate better the environment that's around them. Our last question, what do you want the world to know about Israel? There's a lot, a lot of ignorance about Israel or about the Jews in general. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, for the last 2,000 years, Jews have been persecuted, have been killed, have been oppressed throughout the world. And almost in every country in the world, we could see that there were anti-Semitic acts, some more, some less. We've had the Inquisition and the autodafes and the expulsions, and we have had the pogroms, and we have had the Holocaust. And now, unfortunately, that anti-Semitism has turned against Israel. A lot of it is due to ignorance. A lot of it is due to teaching and teaching anti-Jewish sentiments from parent to children. And we see it, as you said, in Twitters and all the social media, there's a lot of ignorance out there. But there's also a lot of evil, unfortunately. So people, we need to teach people who the Jews are, what the Jews are, what Israel is, what Israel is meant to be. And basically, we are pretty much the oldest people and nation on earth that has survived. All the previous peoples and empires and civilizations have not survived. From the greatest ones, the Egyptian, the Babylonian, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Spanish, even the Ottoman Empire, even the British Empire is no longer there. Yet the Jews continue to exist, have existed, and will always exist. So I think if people are taught Jewish history, non-Jews, I mean, are taught Jewish history and are taught the values that the Jews have contributed to the world, uh, monotheism, the respect to poverty, the, res the sanctity of life, the one day rest of the week, what Judaism has contributed to the general society. And if you wanna add to that all the inventions, the Nobel prizes that Jews have received, all the technological inventions, agricultural, medicine, science, philosophy, in every single area of, of human endeavor, Jews have contributed significantly, much, much, much more, maybe a thousand times more than their percentage of population they are vis-a-vis -vis the rest of humanity. I think if the nations of the world and the people of the world would learn that with an open mind and open heart, will understand what Jews are all about and what Israel was all about. Israel, at the end of the day, is our ancestral land, our ancestral home. It was promised to Abraham. It was given to his children. There was uh, thousands of years of Jewish commonwealth living there, sovereignty of Jews in the land of Israel. And it's only because the Romans destroyed the temple, exiled the Jews, that we went into exile for 2,000 years. But all along, thinking, praying, and hoping to go back and to be back. Finally, 72 years ago, 
God made it possible that we should be back and we established sovereignty again and a new Jewish commonwealth in the land of Israel and the state of Israel. And so the nations of the world should know that. We didn't take the land of anybody. We did not usurp the land. We did not kick anybody out. We came back to our own land. It's like somebody who has a home and unfortunately was forced out of the home. And then the home was left pretty much unattended. And then that person came back to his own home. And then he saw squatters there. The squatters cannot take that home. That home has been his for many, many centuries. And the same thing with Israel. I think if we have good education, we educate the people about Israel and about the Jews, and I think they will be able to understand exactly what Israel and the Jews are all about. Thank you so much for sharing your story and wisdom for Career Up Now's Socially Distanced Close-Up podcast. I look forward to keeping in touch with you and best wishes for the future. Thank you very much. You too.